You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. For all of you expecting me to make comments about the game last night, uh, it's not going to happen, guys. To study the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. <laughs> I've heard it, I said I heard it enough last night. Um, so, but again, if we won, I would absolutely rub it in your face. So I get it. I get it. What's that? All right, let's get started. Uh, Last year, I was walking through a furniture store in Johnson City and really looking for the perfect chair for our living room, and I passed this small brown Lazy Boy recliner. It was under $300. Perfect if I could get my wife on board with uh, the color. And after texting her several pictures of my soon-to-be purchase, she gave me the thumbs up, and so... Several days later, Zach's furniture store uh, showed up with a big truck and then dropped off uh, this recliner at our house. So I was excited to have the chair, um, but I don't think I was excited as my children to have this new cardboard box uh, to play with in the house. And so as soon as I got this chair set up, these three little kids scurried off uh, to their bedroom with a giant box and it stayed there for many weeks and so they drew pictures all over it Uh, they cut out windows in it they read books and they played with toys in this box and over over time it just continued to fall apart like it it couldn't handle the constant abuse of two seven-year-olds and a five-year-old and so like they as much fun as they had they just couldn't leave this thing alone and They would jump on it, they would stab holes in it, they would fight each other in it, and so as a parent, uh, it's our job to constantly ruin our children's fun, and so we told them it was time for their cardboard house to visit the curb, and of course there was arguing, of course there was crying, of course there was uh, meltdowns, but that's the joy of parenting, and so it was just time to go, like they had destroyed this box, it was time to go to the trash and just say I was not their favorite person that day. And now I get it, they're kids, and the kids just have, are having fun. Um, but how much more sad and dangerous it is when men and women, steeped in their own sin, slowly begin to destroy their own home. Men and women that allow their own sin and the sin of others to invade their house and then rot things from within. And it, it never happens just overnight. And it never happens all at once. It's like this, this deadly mold growing under the house that will one day take out the entire family where men and women wake up one day and think like, what happened to my marriage? And 
what happened to my kids and what happened to my finances and what happened to, to my family that they were pursuing Jesus and we were unified. Like, what happened? And what happened is men and women allowed sin to grow in the dark and destroy the house. It's James 1, 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That is the very real story of that house in 1 Samuel 2. It's a very real story for us and warning for us today. That when we, that like when we passively let sin rule in our homes, we will one day wake up in a place to not call home. This is the story of Eli and his fallen house. We'll be in 1 Samuel 2, starting in verse 27. We'll finish chapter 2 today. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. Uh, if you have a bulletin, it's all there in the bulletin. And then the supplemental passages will be on the screen. But before we study the Word and walk through the Word, let's pray together. God, um, we come before you and I pray that we would feel the seriousness of your word. That, that when we come before a holy God that we would recognize who we really are before you. We would know our place. God, that as we, we study um, a heavy narrative this morning and the fall of Eli's house, God, I I, I do pray that we feel the dread that he must have felt. A line that was crossed, got something that was broken that could never be fixed. God, and in the seriousness of studying a word, I, I pray that we would find the hope and see the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. So God, give us uh, understanding as we walk through uh, your word this morning. Uh, I pray, as we pray every week, that you would have uh, your way within us, and we, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Yeah, th things are not well in Israel. The priesthood of God's people has become twisted, corrupted, distorted. We're first introduced the f to the family in chapter 1. There's Eli, the high priest. He has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And the unfolding of his family was seen last week where we're giving two shocking sentences in 1 Samuel 2, verse 12. It says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. And they did not know the Lord. These men, these priests of the Lord, did not know the Lord. And, and what were they doing? Like, what, what behavior followed that would identify them as worthless men, or sons of wickedness, or sons of disobedience? Well, they first stole the fat from the meat of the peace offering. 
The people of Israel, they would go to Shiloh to offer sacrifice. The peace offering from Leviticus 3 that we looked at was meant to burn the fat as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So what did the two sons do? Well, they stabbed a fork in the pot and grabbed meat before the fat was burned up, therefore robbing the God of Israel. Uh, That wasn't enough. I mean, why go through the work of fishing the meat out of the pot when you could just take it from the worshipers? And so they told the worshipers, like, "Just, just give us that meat before you even try to cook it. Even that wasn't enough. When the worshipers objected, because they're, they're just trying to be faithful to the word, Eli's two sons threatened them with violence. Even that wasn't enough. Hophni and Phineas were having sex with women that were serving outside of the temple. So yeah, things have got, gotten pretty bad for the priesthood of Israel. And where's Eli in all of that? Like, where, where's the dad? Like, why didn't he do something? Well, in 1 Samuel 2.25, he finally does say something to his boys, certainly too late in the story. When dad finally speaks up, his boys, they ignore him. Like, they wouldn't listen to the voice of their father. And things are falling apart for Eli and his house. And so while last week we looked at the indictment of his sons, this week we look at the indictment of the father. So we'll read the account. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll start in verse 27. We'll read the thing and then we'll walk through it. Verse 27. There came a a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, "Did Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why? Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And and you honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so there will not even be an old man in your house. Then in distress you'll look with an envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed in Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of whom I shall not cut off from your altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to, to grieve in his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall be come upon your two sons. Hophni and Phinehas shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. Who shall do according to what is in my heart. 
into my mind, and I'll, I'll build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who's left in your house, well, they'll, they'll come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, please put me in one of the priests' place that I may eat just a morsel of bread. The question that we'll look at from the text is what makes a strong house? What makes a strong house? Like as tragic as Eli's story is, there are healthy implications that we can pull from today as we walk through the text. Because I don't think anyone is here this morning and wanting to know how they can ruin their own lives or how they can ruin their own home or how they can ruin the church. No, we don't want a story like Eli's story. We don't want a tragic story with an ending of just begging for a morsel of bread. We don't want that. We want to be a strong house. And not, like, not just a place that you live, but also a place that you worship. We also want a strong church. We want East River Park to be healthy and kingdom building. We want a church that, that is just not going to shake or bend to a culture that just constantly rejects God and his word. So whether it's your home or whether it's the church, what makes a strong house? Here's point one. It's the house that remembers the Lord's faithfulness. The house that remembers the Lord's faithfulness. Verse 27, it says, There came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord. Now to be clear, the man of God is also a prophet of God. Who is he? We don't know. Where did, where did this guy come from? We don't know. In fact, there's only one other time in the entire Bible that a prophet is mentioned without name or origin. That's in Jude 6, 8. We don't know who he is. We don't know where he came from. But we do know who sent him and who he speaks for. And that's the Lord. The Lord has, has two questions and then a statement for Eli. Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father? Were they were in Egypt subject to Pharaoh's house? Question one. Question two. Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go to the altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod? Question two. Statement number one. I gave the house to your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. See, the, the Lord is reminding Eli of his faithfulness to Eli. I mean, look, out of the entire world, out of the entire world, God chose to reveal himself first to Israel. And out of all of the tribes of Israel, God chose Eli's family to be priests, to serve, and to eat from the offerings. It begins in Exodus 28, in the first half of verse 1. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priest. Simply, the Lord has been 
so gracious and kind and faithful to Eli and his family for generations. The Lord has has revealed himself and chose his people and provided for the house. And how does Eli and his family respond to that kind of faithfulness? Well, you hear from the Lord in verse 29, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded from my dwelling? The NASB, uh, or the New King James translation, I think offers a more accurate understanding of that word scorn in the Greek. I'll read it again. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place? So it carries this idea that the Lord has been just overwhelmingly faithful to his people, and they're just kicking it back in his face. That's the tragedy, not just of Eli's sons, but of Eli himself, who has no regard for how faithful God has been to him and to his house. So to be a strong house is to be a house that it just remembers the Lord's faithfulness. It's the charge that's been given to Israel, even as they fled from slavery in Egypt, the Lord was charging them to always remember. I'll give you two examples, Exodus 12, verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from his place. And then later down in the chapter, verse 8, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. A charge that, that's just constantly given to the people of Israel, a charge still given to the people of God today. Remember. Remember how good and faithful the Lord's been to you. Remember the faithfulness of the Lord just to love you, to choose you, to save you, to provide for you. Remember. And don't just remember. Um, tell your children and your grandchildren about the faithfulness of God to you. Strong houses are houses that remember and sing of the faithfulness of the Lord to the generations of their house. Most of you know we adopted uh, Ezra and Eliza, able to bring them home from the NICU, and we had prayed for children for years, and even when it felt like God was silent in all of that. He was working, and he was faithful. And so my wife and I, um, it's an open adoption, meaning they know who their birth mother is. They've met her several times. We saw her a few months ago when we went to visit in Illinois. We tell them, constantly tell them their adoption story. We tell them that they're an answer to prayer, and we tell them how faithful God was and is in all of it. So the word-saturated reality is houses that, 
that fall away from the Lord are houses with parents and grandparents that forgot about God's faithfulness and stopped telling the children about God's faithfulness in their life. So yeah, a church with no children is a church that just somewhere along the way stopped telling children about God. And a church with no children is a house that's dying both physically and spiritually. What makes a strong house is the house that remembers the Lord's faithfulness. Two, the house that lives with biblical conviction. See, the indictment of the Lord to Eli, um, it's not even really directed at the sins of his sons. Although they had plenty of, of sin in their life, we know the boys, Hophni and Phinehas, who've been ruining the sacrifices, ignoring God's word. But the indictment of the Lord in verse 29 is directed at Eli himself. He was the one that scorned the sacrifice. He was the one that showed contempt for what God commanded. And so, yeah, I've, uh, the past month, I guess, I've gone back and forth on a character study of Eli. So, at times, uh, I think he's, he's just a decent guy that got it wrong. Um, at times, I think he's, he's probably he's just a, a dad trying his best with some bad kids. Uh, at times, I think he was trying to do the right thing, and it backfired. But what I can't ignore, and you can't ignore in the text, is that Eli was clearly a passive father who did not live by conviction. Oh yeah, he did his job at times, just like every dad. We're a priest, we see him serving in the temple, we see him pray for Elkanah and his family, we see him bless Hannah. But what we don't see is Eli being this unmovable, strong, godly man. What we don't see is a 1 Corinthians 16 man from Eli. I've read it before, I'll read it again. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And we've got guys today that, I mean, yeah, they do their job at times. We see them at work, and we see them driving their kids to school and practice, and we see them bring their kids to worship. We see them serve in the church, and we see them in the community. But what we sometimes don't see from passive men or what we always see in passive and weak men is that they are men that do not live with biblical conviction. Passive and weak men don't know their Bible, and they're more concerned about filling their bellies than leading their families to the cross of Christ. And I know I'm jumping ahead here in the text, um, but I want to make that statement, because I know that's a heavy statement. I want to make that statement based on the end of Eli's life. This is 1 Samuel 4. 1 Samuel 4, I'll start in verse 15. 
Now Eli is 98 years old. His eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. And I fled from the battle today. And he said, well, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's also been a great defeat among your people. And your two sons, also Hophni and Phinehas, they're dead. The ark of, the God has, of God has been captured. And as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate. And his neck was broken and he died, for the man was old and heavy. And he had judged Israel for 40 years. It's probably safe to say it wasn't just the boys that were stealing the fat from the sacrifice. No, they learned that one from their dad. For Eli was old and fat and fell from his seat and broke his neck and died. Weak men and women aren't filled with the word and they aren't filled with the spirit. They have made themselves fat with the things of this world, and their end is destruction. Philippians 3, starting in verse 18, it says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now I tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame and with mindset on earthly things. So houses fall, churches fall, communities fall, political systems fall when men and women become passive and don't live with biblical conviction. Being passive is not being grace-filled. Being passive is not being slow to anger. Being passive is not being loving. Being passive is a cop-out for not living with biblical conviction. And it will be the fall of Eli's house and the demise of his family. But friends, like, it doesn't have to be true of our house. We teach the word. We study the word. We live by the word. We stand on the word. Even if everyone around us is going to bail on it. What makes a strong house is the house that lives with biblical conviction. Here's point three. Um, it's the house that honors the Lord above all things. The second half of verse 29, we find that the Lord's last challenge against Eli says, You honor your sons above me. You honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel. Eli was a man that honored a lot of things over the Lord. He honored himself over others. He honored the fat of the sacrifice over the worshiper. He honored his sons over the Lord. See, the, the story of Eli, it's not the story of like a godly dad that walked in righteousness and then he had children that grew up and then they just rejected the Lord. Yeah, that, that happens. 
There are parents that they've done everything right. They're trying, at least try to do everything right. There are parents that, that love God and they teach their children the word and they pray for their kids every day. And sometimes those kids grow up, they just grow up to reject Christ and his word and, and the church. And yeah, that happens. It's a sad and real reality. That's not what's happening here. We have a dad that put everything above God, even his own sons. See, strong houses are houses that faithfully love and teach children, but they don't worship their children. We're living in this cultural moment where parents honor their kids more than the Lord where parents allow their kids to dictate the schedule, where parents allow their children to live in sin in the house. See, Eli, Eli couldn't stop his kids from sinning. I mean, you can't, you, can't, you can't stop your kids from sinning. I, I wish I could. I've tried <laughs> to get my kids to stop. Hey, quit being so sinful. Quit being so angry. Quit being so greedy. I, like, I wish I could stop them, but I can't stop them. So Eli is not being rebuked because of his children's sin. He's being rebuked because he let it happen and never did anything to stop it. Or let me put it more direct. When we allow our children to sin under our jurisdiction without any response, we are honoring them, for sure. You are honoring them. You're just not honoring the Lord. A house that doesn't honor the Lord allows sin to go unchecked. That is why the leaders of East River Park, the elders, confront sin in the church. And yeah, we try to do that with gentleness, and we try to do that with love, and sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we don't, and sometimes afterwards, like, oh, I wish we would have done it this way. We're not going to leave sin unchecked in this house. And people will see that. People have seen it at East River Park and think, ah, they're just being nosy. Um, or that's mean. Or that church is being judgmental. But the reality is we want to be a church that honors the Lord, which means we don't let public and clear and consistent, unrepentant sin go unchecked. Like, we confront sin and deal with it. And we seek restoration through repentance. And, and I say that even in our own lives. Like, the church elders are not exempt from sin, nor are the church elders exempt from being confronted by their own sin. I'm not above being confronted in my sin as the preacher. You look at this narrative, and some might easily look at Eli's boys and think, let's just show them some grace. Maybe Eli didn't hug them enough. Pray for them a little longer and hope they change. Like, let's just, let's, let's wait this one out. Um, hope the Lord gets a hold of their heart. And sometimes that is the approach, but sometimes things need to be dealt with immediately. 
And the tragic rebuke of Eli's house is that he honored everything but the Lord. And he allowed sin to go unchecked in his life and in his house. And in 2022, it's so difficult just to be positive. Like we turn on the news and we scroll scroll through social media and it can be incredibly depressing. And when I look at everything on the outside, it gives me anxiety about the future of my family and the way that my kids, like the world that my kids will grow up in. It concerns me about the future of the local church. But the truth is, godly homes are not destroyed by outside influences. I'll say that again. Godly homes are not destroyed by outside influences. They are destroyed by unchecked sin and godless individuals inside the home. And the greatest danger to your house and the greatest danger even to this church, it's not on the outside, it's on the inside. And growing up, I remember uh, there's a sign posted in a lot of houses and and certainly, maybe it's in your house today, a sign that's rooted in biblical truth. This is Joshua 24, verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Will that be true of your house? Well, you say, like, regardless of what every other family does in this county or this country, my house will serve the Lord. I've said it a lot. Like, I don't answer for other churches. I'm not their preacher. I don't serve as their elder. But I, I do answer for East River Park. And I can promise you, as for me and this church, we will serve and honor the Lord. Because if we don't, Because if you don't, the clock is ticking until the Lord ruins you and cuts you off. A sad promise given to Eli in his house in verses 30 through verse 36. So so you're going to despise me and my word? I'll cut you off. And you'll look on the prosperity of Israel with envy. And the only people from your house that will be spared are those that will weep their eyes and grieve in their heart. And and all of your descendants will die by the sword. There's not going to be one old man left in that house. And you'll beg for bread from my anointed. And those two boys of yours, the two priests that rob from me and ignore my word, your two boys will both die on the same day. And the death of your boys will be proof that everything I've said has come to pass. And the house of Eli is falling. And the man of God has confirmed that all of it will come true. The priesthood of Eli and his house will come to an end. It's this this terrifying and prophetic promise. In high school, um, we we had this thing. It was like an in-school club day, uh, meaning students could attend uh, a club of their choice during school hours. And at the time, I wasn't really in, an, in a club, but I certainly knew I didn't want to sit in school all day uh, or in my classroom. And so my friend Matt and I, we decided we would just skip class and we would uh, roam the halls and we pulled pranks on classrooms. And then uh, when that got old, uh, we went to, snuck into one of these clubs that we weren't a part of. And it wasn't too long before students and the teacher realized 
what we had been doing, and she asked us if we were supposed to be in that class, and we uh, lied and said yes, and apparently, I'm not a great liar, uh, so we both got sent to the principal's office, and, and I knew we had crossed the line, and I had this like feeling of dread, like this, about going to the office, and I, I was always, I was the church kid, youth group kid, I wasn't, never really got in trouble, and um, certainly had never been sent to the principal's office, and so I was hoping he would show me some grace as a first-time offender, and um, the principal was not as mercy-filled as I would have imagined, and he handed me a piece of paper uh, that described my in-school suspension, and which is the worst kind of suspension, because you still have to go to school. And um, I was devastated, and my parents uh, were not very mercy-filled either. And when we read the account of Eli, it can be heavy, as it should be. It's a strong warning to all of us. Many of us have not remembered the Lord's faithfulness. Many of us have not lived with biblical conviction. Many of us have not honored the Lord above everything. And so as much as I want us to feel the dread, the sense of dread in our own sin, sense of dread of of Eli hearing the prophecy from the man of God, you also need to see the rest of the story. One verse, 1 Samuel 2, verse 35. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Eli and his house has fallen. But that doesn't mean that your house needs to as well. There's hope for your house. There's hope for your family. The Lord was raising up a faithful priest that Eli never was. A prophecy partially fulfilled in Samuel, as we'll see, replacing the ungodly sons of Eli. A prophecy partially fulfilled in Zadok in the days of Solomon when Eli's whole priesthood line was replaced. A prophecy completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Our story doesn't need to be Eli's story because at the end of the day, The only person with a strong house is a house that is built on Christ. I'll give you this as we close. Matthew 7. Looked at the terrifying verses in Matthew 7 last week. This is what it says in verse 24 this week. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, because it had been found on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built the house in the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Your summary point this morning is the house built on Christ will never fall. Remember the Lord's faithfulness. Live with biblical conviction. 
Honor the Lord above all things. That's my plea from the word to you and to myself. Build a strong house on Christ that will never fall. If any questions about the passage this morning, want to respond to the word, want to give your life to Christ, uh, want someone to pray for you, would love to do that after the service, but let's pray and then we'll sing. God, we are humbled and come before your word and um, we look at the seriousness of the words from the man of God, but these are your words. And it wasn't just Eli's sons, it was Eli. God, and certainly there's men and women that are here, men and women that will listen to this message and they think every problem is someone else's sin. And they can't even see their own. God, I pray that we would see the seriousness of the word, but also the hope that you are and you have raised up a high priest that Samuel could never be, that Eli could never be. God, that only Jesus, our high priest, can be. And so I pray, I pray that for myself, I pray for uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would quit trying to build our houses on whatever foundation we think is going to last or the things that we value um, that just don't eternally matter. I pray that we would build our house on Christ. And when we do that, it will never fall. So thankful for the truth and the promises of your word. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.